Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Amen. All right. Will you stand for the reading of God's word? It is just our custom to stand at this time as we invite God's word into this sanctuary. Leviticus chapter 4, verse number 30. I'm reading out the New King James this morning. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering. I'm going to explain all this. And pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma. Sweet aroma. I'm going to hit that. Aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement. I'm going to hit that one as well. That word atonement for him. And it shall be forgiven him. Verse 32. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Notice what it says. A a lamb. Bring a lamb. Mm -hmm. The lamb is to be without blemish, spotless, clean lamb. Are you tracking with me? Okay, Lamb of God, okay, all right, I'm going to make it make sense, verse 33. Uh, then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they killed the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire, made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. Today is part three of seeking God. Father, I thank you for your presence this morning. I pray God open up our hearts. May we receive this word in Jesus name. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. All right. Before we get too deep in this passage, let me very quickly remind you about the broader context of the book that we're reading from, that is the book of Leviticus. In the closing chapters of the preceding book, which is Exodus, it describes the construction of a mobile temple called the Tent of Meeting. There it is behind me. And so... To understand what we just read, you got to have a little backdrop of what's taking place in the context of the scriptures at this moment here. So everything that I just read to you happens in the confines of the mobile tent of meeting that Moses established in the wilderness. This, what you see, this is where the newly liberated Israelites would meet with the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not only had God uh, delivered them from Egypt, God was also showing them the way of holiness. What do I mean by that? If you remember and go back and read the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was this right here. God commanded Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Okay? And so in other words, it's not enough just to be delivered from Egypt. You also have to then enter a time of worship unto God. You're delivered from in order to be brought into. 
Am I making sense to you? And so that begins to describe this process of what we read in Leviticus. Now, the first several chapters of Leviticus, including the the chapter we just read in chapter 4, is laying an important foundation on how to seek God. And the question is, is how do you have fellowship with God? How do you seek God? How do you have fellowship with God whenever there's a greater question because there is one huge problem whenever it comes to man seeking God and that is the sin problem. How many of you know that it's hard to seek after a holy God when you have unconfessed sin in your heart? Mm -hmm. Are you tracking with me right there? So therefore for context, Leviticus provides a path in the Old Testament which the Israelites could walk in order to commune with God and not be consumed by God. All right, so if you, again, when you study it out, there were multiple times that the Israelites could not approach God because of their sin in their life. And there were multiple times where the Bible would say the earth opened up and just swallowed them in because he is a consuming fire. Uh huh. He's a consuming fire. So he's either going to consume your sin, uh huh, or you may get consumed by him. And that path begins, that path to having fellowship with God, that path that, that begins to seeking after God, it starts with the word sacrifice. So let's start right there. My point number one, the next slide. The offering was brought willing. Now watch. It's a, um, there, there's different kind of offerings in the Old Testament. But there was one particular offering that was a free will offering. And I want to use that in this way. This offering was not given out of obligation. It was given out of an act of a free will. In other words, you have come out of Egypt. Uh-huh. God has delivered delivered you through the Red Sea and you are to commemorate that deliverance through different offerings. Are you tracking with me? Now, it's a free will offering. Uh, Joshua chapter 24 verse number 15 kind of puts it in perspective for us to understand it in this way. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. You see, you have a choice to make. Am I going to serve the God, the living God or am I going to choose to, to serve the path of this world? I have to make a decision. Who am I going to serve? I have to make up my mind that I'm going to run hard after God. Are you listening to me now? The New Testament application is found in Romans chapter 12 verse number 1. Whenever it says this right here, I beseech you uh, therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, uh uh-huh, what are we to do? Present for yourselves present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service now watch with me, reasonable that means fair, that means sensible, in other words if you look at that word reasonable, present yourself your body a living sacrifice which is your fair service which is your sensible service in other words in light of all that God has done for you in light of the fact that he picked you up out of the miry clay the fact that he chose you the fact that he forgave you the fact that he washed you in his blood that he sanctified you by the Holy Spirit and gave you eternal life in return for what God has done for you and you follow God with your your whole heart, it is a reasonable thing then to offer your life back to God as a living sacrifice. Somebody say amen right there. 
You have simply done the reasonable thing. You have come into church. You're not doing God a favor coming to church. It's a reasonable thing for me to come to church. Are you, you understand? It's not, I'm not doing God a favor clapping my hands and worshiping Him. That's the most reasonable thing that I could do is to worship God. I don't do Him a favor by praying to Him. No, it's my reasonable thing that I could do in order to give back to God what He has already given to me. In fact, I would dare say to you that it would be unreasonable not to do anything else. It would be unreasonable not to come to church. It would be unreasonable not to worship. It would be unreasonable not to drop a little dollar offering in the offering plate so we can send missions around the world. That would be an unreasonable thing because whenever I compare what God has done for me, I don't mind doing any of it and I feel like I ought to do more of it which is one of the reasons I got called into ministry. Which is one of the reasons right there because after I got saved and I felt that weight come off of my shoulders and I felt the mercy of God and the grace of God knowing what I had done and that he forgave me man I got up from that floor saying what can I do for you and I wanted to serve him more than anything else and the first thing he told me to do whenever I got up was to go apologize to a guy that I had a little mm, situation with him we kind of like the same girl at times come on I was 18 don't look at me like that y'all I was 18 and I had to go apologize to him. I had to humble myself. And I had to seek that man out. Uh, and, and I had no idea. There had already been some confrontation. And I was like, Lord, are you see-? That was the very first thing he told me. He said, I want you to go apologize to him and, and repent and ask for his forgiveness. And I was like, I want, but I want to go preach. Come on, somebody. I, I, I want to go serve you. You know, nope. If you want to serve me, go do that. That was my first thing. Are you hearing me? What I'm trying to say to you. So anything that God requires, anything that God asks, is my reasonable act of service. It's unreasonable not to give Him praise and worship. It's unreasonable for me to sit there and not clap my hands and to raise my hands and to give Him a little hallelujah. So this Old Testament offering was brought to the Lord willingly. I have, I have chosen to present this offering. And this is my prayer. Let the Revival Center present ourselves as an offering unto the Lord. Are you hearing me? Let us say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Have your way on my road. Pour your spirit out on us. Send your fire on us. We are available for whatever you want to do. We say yes to it in Jesus' name. Are you, are you alive this morning? All right. Point number two. The offering was required to die. Watch now. So as they were bringing that little lamb from the field, wherever they were coming from, they were bringing that lamb to the, to the, to, to, to the tent of meeting, the lamb was alive, okay? So the lamb was alive, and they came, and they presented it to, to the priest. But watch. But then, for it to be accepted on the altar, that little lamb had to die. Are, are you tracking with me, okay? It's very important what I'm about to say right here. So, so you could not present the lamb and it be received to God if you didn't kill it. You had to kill it in order for it to be received. It wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. You got no brownie points just for bringing the lamb. Are, are, you, are you hearing me? Is this thing on? Praise the Lord. You, you, you don't get no brownie points just for showing up. Hmm? You had to bring it 
and then you had to kill the lamb on the altar. Now, what does that mean to us? I remember the teaching of Jesus whenever in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he said, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, here's how it works. You have to deny, somebody say deny. Uh, it's even hard to say, ain't it? Come on. Deny yourself and follow me. In other words, it's not good enough just to show up. It's not good enough just to follow behind him and, and just watch him. No, sir, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Mm, it goes a little bit deeper, this, this concept of denying. Check out Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. Paul goes a little further. Look, Check this verse out. Mm -hmm. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others Better than himself. Hello, somebody. See, that's taking the whole denying yourself. And not only are you denying yourself and submitting yourself to God, uh-huh. Now Paul says, I want you to, I want you to deny yourself, submit yourself, and esteem others better than yourself. Mm -hmm. See, I have a, a theory that I want to present to you this morning that if you do the first, deny yourself pick up your cross and follow Jesus, then this, my friend, is a natural outflow which should come from denying yourself and following Jesus. It should be natural. I should be able to follow your, your life. Know that you've already denied yourself following Christ by the way you treat other people. Come on, somebody. Are y'all alive this morning? My goodness. So, yes, there is a message about abundant life, absolutely, that needs to be preached. I preach it. There's a message about victory and breakthrough and overcoming. It's all right, all biblical. And I have sermons that I will preach absolutely the same way. But there, you don't hear a lot of messages about dying to your flesh, Galatians 5, 24. You don't hear a lot of messages about the fact that we have to crucify the flesh with its passions and with its desires. It's not talking about your flesh, physical flesh, jumping up on the cross. It's talking about your passions. It's talking about your desires it's talking about your attitude and your opinions are you hearing me this morning that's in the bible too and that message needs to be preached also preacher i don't like what you're doing right now i don't like you telling me how to live my life i don't like you up there meddling around listen preacher if i want to be sexually active then i will be sexually active if i want to do my drugs and drink my alcohol i'll do my drugs and drink my alcohol if i want to keep all of my anger my bitterness and my hate then i will do it i I want it my own way. Listen to me. There is a time that you come to Jesus and your flesh and your passions will have to be crucified on that cross. Yes, your opinions, your sins, and your flesh. In fact, in fact, Paul says in Corinthians, he says that he had to die daily. Daily, 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 daily. That, that is not a one-time death. I have to die on Sunday. Come on. Then I got to die three times on Monday. I got to die to get up. Come on, somebody. Then you got to die when you get to work. And they done messed everything up. Come on, somebody. Talk to me in here. Then you got to die to dr drive back from home with all that traffic out there. You are so holy. Thank you. Got one honest person in the house. Praise the Lord. But you got to die on Tuesday. You got to die on Wednesday. You got to die on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because the flesh in me at times re re will come up like anger. 
there's an attitude in me that sometimes tries to raise this old head up. A part of me that wants to get offended at everything. Yeah, that's down inside of me. And sometimes I have to repent of that. Sometimes that old flesh will pop up. I have to say I'm sorry to my family. Sorry to my kids. Sorry to church members. And say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Because that old flesh was trying to raise up that part of Jason that tries to resurrect itself sometimes. And come back to life. Therefore, I have to make sure that I die every single day. And if I'm honest with you, and somebody said, please, preacher, be honest with us. Don't lie to us. But if I'm honest with you, some days I think I am dead. Mm -hmm. Some days I think I have got this thing under control. And then there are other days I know that I am still dying. Can anybody relate with me this morning? I mean, there are some days that I'm like, I got this thing, bruh. I got it under the blood. It's under my feet. And then there's other days I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I just did that. You know what I'm saying? And then I, I get that bad attitude. I'm still dying. I get that short temper. I'm still dying, y'all. But God is not finished with me just yet. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. He, it took him just a week to make the moon, the stars, the sun, and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Anybody know that song right there? I'm not going to sing it for you. They're still working on my mic, praise the Lord. When they get my mic fixed, I'll sing. Okay? Listen, you think that you're growing spiritually. You're seeking God. And you think, I finally overcome the hump. And then all of a sudden, you open up Facebook. And then all of a sudden, you realize, I am not... 100% dead. Hear me in the name of the Lord. Every word that's spoken against you. Every Facebook post that begins to crawl up your spine. Uh Uh-huh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Every person that ignites your attitude. God is using them to kill your flesh. Yes, sir. God is using it to bring up that old man so that you can keep killing that thing. To kill what is not dead just yet. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. The reason I'm using this particular verse is because Isaiah the prophet was going through a time of dying right here. I mean, that King Uzziah was a king that was king for a long time. And it was a major traumatic thing that was taking place in Isaiah's life. The year that King Uzziah died. Something died. I saw the Lord. Then I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And his train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, God is saying, listen, Isaiah, my prophet, I know this is a hard season. I know something that you loved very dearly has now died. I know that you're struggling with this this change and, and this season of change. I know that you're struggling with it. But God was showing the prophet that even if your earthly king is dead, The King of kings and the Lord of lords is still very much alive. That he is still high and lifted up. And his glory fills the temple. This is my prayer. To let the glory of God fill this house. To fill this temple. And so the question is, if King Uzziah had to die in order for Uzziah to have the vision, my question is, is what must die in me to see God lifted up? What must die in America for God? to be lifted up for us to see the Lord in this tangible way. 
If it takes us dying to our agendas, then please, friend, please serve. Then put them on a cross. Put them at the altar and light a match to it and burn your agenda. The plans, the divisions, the attitude, the compromise. Listen, whatever needs to die, let it be so because I am ready for God to be lifted up for his train to fill this temple. Put me on the altar, man. Put me on the altar. Kill my flesh. Just pour out your Holy Spirit and let the church be filled to overflowing. My third point is the sacrifice had to be washed. Now, I'm going to teach this a little bit deeper in a second because there was a piece of furniture that was found in the tent of meeting that the um, priests would actually wash their hands. But but watch, it had to be clean. Now, when, when you look at that in the Old Testament, Paul picks up on this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Now, the reason this is important is because understand that the Jewish believers at the time of Ephesians, they did not have the New Testament scripture. These were Jewish people, for the most part, coming out of Judaism, uh, serving God. And so there's little references when you know that. There's little references that you can pick up on. And if you're Jewish, then you would hear this verse and know immediately what he's referring to. Just from a cultural standpoint, are you making sense? No, no, yes, kind of so. Okay, all right, here it is. That he might sanctify and cleanse her, talking about the church, with the washing. There it is. I'm going to show you in the, in the Old Testament in just a second. With the washing of water by the word. So in the Old Testament, it was the washing of water, literally the washing of water. But in the New Testament, it's not the washing of water, literally, it's washing the water. With the word of God. All right, now watch. Here we go. So the Holy Spirit, in conjunction to the word of God, sanctifies us. Sanctification, meaning the action of making or declaring something holy, set apart. The action or process of being freed from sin or being purified. 1 Peter 2.9 describes the church as a chosen generation. A holy, royal priesthood set apart. In other words, that when we get saved and we begin to follow the, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings, if we do them, will lead us in a separate path than the things of this world because we act different, we talk different, we live different because the word teaches us different. Make sense to you this morning? So here it is. Here is the Old Testament picture of what we just read in Ephesians. This is the bowl that the priests would come and to wash their hands with the water. This piece of furniture that you see behind me was placed between the altar and the holy place. Watch now. Oh, hear me. See the revelation. Altar. In other words, you, if you walked into the tent of meeting, the first thing you had to encounter was the altar. Uh-huh. Then the second thing you encountered was this uh, bowl, this, this, uh, this uh, brazen laver here uh, to wash your hands. Watch. Altar first. Uh-huh. Then you would clean up your hands and your body. In other words, you don't come to church and clean your life up and then give your heart to the Lord. No, you come to the altar first, die on the altar, then you get the word and let it begin to clean your life up. Do you see how that works? You see a lot of people say, man, 
you know, I, I can't go to church. I can't go to the revival. I can't deal with all that. I got all this stuff in my life, man. I don't want to go to church and be a hypocrite and, you know, and all that. Listen, I know you got it backwards. You got it backwards. The first thing you do is you come to an altar and you die. And then after you die to yourself, then we'll get you this word right here. And we'll let this word start washing you, cleaning you up, man. And we'll work out this discipleship process. Be patient. A lot of grace. A lot of mercy. We'll figure this thing out, man. The first thing you got to do is give your heart to Jesus. And then the Bible becomes your mirror uh huh, that identifies things in you that needs to be washed up. It begins to clean your life up. Shows you the path to take. Teaches you how to think. So if the book says... As an example, that marriage is between a man and a woman, then then the people of God say marriage is between a man and a woman. Why do we say that? Because the book says that. If the book says that a baby's life in the womb is sacred, then the people of God say that life is sacred. See, the thing about it is, is this right here. We don't change the book, but we pray, oh God, change me. That's the difference, ladies and gentlemen. That's the difference. We're not trying to rewrite the book to fit your lifestyle. What we do is we say, these are the areas that I need to die in. These are the areas that I need to deny myself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. So let me die on the altar. Let me read this book. Ask God to help me. Put some godly people in my life to teach me and to train me so that I can do everything that God has called me to do. Are you here? Are you with me this morning? We are a Bible-believing people in Jesus' name. If we don't believe the Bible, then we are just a country club. We're just hanging out. It is the Bible that gives us direction. Think about Matthew 28, verse number 20. It's, it's, it's an interesting choice of words right here. You see, when Jesus told us to evangelize the world, it's more than walking into a, uh, into a community and saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. See you later. Okay, I evangelized that one. Let me keep going. That ain't what he's talking about. Look what he says. Teaching them, not just teaching them so they can pass a test, but teaching them to observe. Mm -hmm. So that's a changed lifestyle. Observe all things that I have commanded you. Are you tracking with me? We are not to preach our opinions. Somebody say amen. We are not to get our notes from Fox News. Somebody say amen. We are not to get our notes from CNN or from ABC or whatever the latest thing was on Facebook. We are to come in here, get our Bible out, and preach the Word of God. Are you hearing me? Oh, you better hear me. All this stuff that people are getting entangled in right now. Oh, I mean, it's like divide, d division and this and all this. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to use this as an example it, about the mask thing. Okay, listen. Whether you wear a mask, wear it. If you don't, don't. Listen, you ain't going to hear none of that from me. You, know, you want me to tell you why? Because if, if whenever it comes to Jesus Christ, if you have sin in your heart but a mask on your face, then you're going to bust hell wide open. If you have sin in your heart with no mask on your face, you're going to buzz hell wide open. The only thing that matters, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life. Oh, I see church people, man, divided on crazy issues right now over stuff that don't matter. 
It don't matter, man. If you can't preach it before COVID-19, then you can't preach it after COVID-19. It's the same. Jesus hadn't changed. He has not changed. Oh, there's a lot of immaturity happening right now. And I hope to goodness y'all are praying, fasting, reading your Bible, and understanding the times that we're living in. Please hear me. Please hear you. Listen, I'll be your pastor if you let me. If you don't let me be your pastor, then you ain't going to let me be your pastor. It's like coaching. If, if I use coaching as an example. You know why I got to play? It wasn't because I was the fastest. It definitely wasn't because I was the biggest or any. You know why I got to play? Because I did what the coach said. Huh? Yeah, that's why I got to play. The other folks who were bigger, faster than me, they had attitudes. Come on, somebody. Coach, tell them to stand right here. I need you to stand right here with your four five self. Come on, somebody. And they wouldn't stand right there for their coach. And so coach said, I can't trust you. You're faster than Jason. You're, you're stronger than him. But at least he'll stand there and be coachable. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's how, that's how it works. That's free. That's free. That was for, for second service. I didn't even get there. Preach the word. Let me keep going here. I say, wash me, Lord. Wash us. Wash us in the word of God. Let me keep going. I am running out of time. Let me go number four, point four. Uh, so here it is. The sacrifice had to be laid in the blood. Now watch, why is this important? This is not just an Old Testament thing. This is also referenced in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Look what it says. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with what? Blood. You got to see it, okay? And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins is what it's referring to. So you are sitting in a church that believes in the power of the purification of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now I know that sounds old fashioned. I can hear it coming out of my mouth into my own ears. But what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus is that Lamb of God. John the Baptist said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so whenever we talk about Jesus being the Lamb of God when we make the connection between the New Testament and the Old Testament that little lamb they're bringing listen the reason that is important is I'm not making the connection the New Testament is making the connection are you hearing me it was John the Baptist who taught me that this Jesus is the Lamb of God. No ordinary human being can call these things. Jesus is the only sin remover. Jesus is the God man. Jesus is the Word made flesh. First John chapter 3, verse 5 tells me that He came to take away our sins. He was that perfect Lamb of God. For 33 years, He never sinned, never told one lie, He never lusted, He never compromised, He never sinned. His blood was innocent blood. Let me show you why that's important. Hebrews 12, 24. Are y'all okay right now? I feel like I'm just going crazy. Because I am. I'm very excited. I'm very excitable. Okay. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, look what it says, that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, why did they take... An example from the Old Testament and apply it to the blood of Jesus. 
Why did he do that? Let me show you. In Genesis 4.10 is the reference. This is when Abel killed Cain. I mean, Cain killed Abel. And what happened when Cain killed Abel, God asked uh, Cain, what, uh, what, where's your brother? And Abel, uh, Cain said, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. That was God telling uh, Cain that I hear your blood brother, your, your brother's blood crying out to me from the ground. The connection is this, ladies and gentlemen. Abel did nothing wrong to deserve death. Okay? He's innocent. See, I, I was telling you, Jesus committed no sin. He was innocent. Abel's blood was innocent in that ground. Are, are you tracking with me? Okay, see the connection. And the reason Hebrews said that Jesus' blood speaks greater things than Abel's is because it's drawing the connection that Abel was innocent whenever he died. Mm -hmm. But Jesus was greater than Abel, and whenever he died on the cross, his blood flows into the ground, and blood will say something. Blood speaks, and God can hear it. And so what Cain, or what Abel's blood was saying right here, it was, it was saying this right here. Uh, it was saying this, avenge me, get Cain, get him back, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This man murdered me in innocent cold blood. It's time to get him back. And if God could hear Abel's blood, then how much more can God hear the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, what is Jesus' blood saying over in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1? I will tell you what his innocent blood is saying. His innocent blood is not saying, get Jason. Jason messed up again. He, he, he's letting his temper get a hold of him. Get, get so-and-so again. They, they're out there cussing again. Get him. Get him. Don't let him get, get away with this. That ain't what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I have my blood over him. I have mercy for him. Don't get rid of I still, they believe in a second chance. The Bible says that even if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is interceding for you and me, friend. Woo! That's some good news right there. That gets me up the next morning because His mercy is going to be new that day. And so I know that if, even if I did blow it, I'm going to come to an altar. I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me. And then I'm going to walk in that mercy that I know my Savior Jesus is up there by the Father saying, I got Him, I got Him covered. Listen to me, Father. He's going to be okay. Exodus 12, 23. I am running out of time. Exodus 12, 23. Now this is it's painting the picture of the blood. And so this is whenever the Passover was happening. And so the Bible says take a lamb. Kill the lamb. Put the blood over the doorpost. Now watch, watch. Read it. I'm, not going, I'm running out of time so I can't keep reading all these scriptures. But you see it behind me. And so look, what I want to point out to you is that when the death angel comes, notice that not only can God hear the blood, but here it teaches me that he can see the blood. Passover, I will see the blood on the doorpost. When God looks at your life, not only does he hear the blood of Jesus advocating on your behalf, he can also see the blood that is covered over all of your sins. He can't even see what happened last week, y'all. Come on, somebody. He can't even see what you did last year because it's covered in the blood of Jesus. That makes me want to throw my mic. Oh, my goodness. Oh, 
Let me keep going. Leviticus 16 verse 14. This is the day of atonement. It means something right here. So on the day of atonement, they would kill the lamb. They would take that lamb. The high priest would walk behind the veil. And and they would put the the blood on the mercy seat. Uh And once the blood was applied to the mercy seat and God received it, then Israel was uh, was forgiven of their sins for a year. Now, As it is in the Old Testament, check out what Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 says. This is powerful, y'all. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. But he does not have to continue to die on the cross over and over and over like some lamb, okay, some ox, some bull does. He died once and for all. And whenever he went into the mercy seat, there's one in heaven. And whenever he went into the throne room of God and he took the blood and he put it on the mercy seat, that was not the blood of a lamb or a goat or whatever. It was his own personal blood put on the mercy seat y'all and that is what God received so that you and I can walk up in here no matter what we just did out there and get all the grace and mercy that you want friend because his blood is on the mercy seat oh I got to hurry I got to hurry all right it's a praise team makes your way up because I, I got a few more things real quick number five the sacrifice was then covered with oil oil represents the Holy Spirit hang out with me I'm almost done the oil represents the anointing listen to me now I believe that we ought to be oily Christians not crusty Christians Oily Christians, not crusty Christians. And so my prayer is a very biblical prayer. Psalms 92 verse 10. I get these words, y'all, from the Bible. It says, anoint with fresh oil. Anoint with fresh oil. I don't have time to, to teach you about the Dead Sea. That The reason the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because there's no outflow. You understand? You got fresh water coming in, no outflow. And so if you are only receiving and you're not being used, you're not, being, you're, you're not allowing your gift to flow through you, come on somebody, you can get crusty. But my prayer is during this revival, Lord, is to, fr- is to fill us uh, uh, freshly with fresh oil of the Holy Spirit. Not only is oil, is there a freshness that comes, but oil also has a smell. <laughs> John 12, 3. They brought the anointing box into this room. They broke the alabaster box. And the Bible says the aroma of that oil went into the whole room. And there's nowhere you could sit in there without smelling what just happened. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah. And then I'll read over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 15, that we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Mm, You have a smell about you. We are oily Christians and we are smelly Christians. Now you get to choose what you smell like. Mm -hmm. This is what I hope. I hope anybody that sits here under this ministry and you go to work and you're talking to folks, I hope they, I smell you. You you got a smell about you, sir. Uh, What do I smell like? You smell like forgiveness. Come on, somebody. You smell like love. You smell like humility. It smells like you have been in the presence of Jesus Christ. It sounds like you have the mind of Christ. It sounds like you talk about somebody else. You, you have a different mindset about you. you. You don't talk like everybody else talks in 2021 because you have a different aroma about you. You smell like Jesus. Number six. I'm done right here. 
I'm going to ask you to stand as soon as I get this point. Lastly, the fire fell on the sacrifice. The fire fell on the sacrifice. So I'm going to quote a former church member of the church. Now, he's going on to be with glory now, okay? He's in heaven. His name was Ray Garrett. This is what he told me um, about three months before he passed away. He, he, he started saying this to me over and over and over. This is what he said. He said, Pastor, this is my prayer. What's your prayer, Brother Ray? I am praying, Lord, set me on fire and watch me burn. Now, if you haven't read the scriptures, you may say, what an odd thing. Somebody wants to be set on fire and burn? What? I don't even make no sense. But this is what I knew he was talking about. He was referencing Revelations chapter 1. You go to the next slide. That when Jesus was walking among the candlesticks, the candlestick in Revelations 1 was referencing the churches of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he begins to go through each church. And he says, I have this against you. I have This is what you're good at. This is what you're not good at. You need to repent or I'm going to take your lampstand away. Keep it on that verse. Here's the thing. This is why... It's a reference to the church. This is what Ray was talking about. I knew exactly what he was talking about. I got excited. I was like, yeah, me too. I want to burn up for Jesus as well. And this is what he's referring to. That when the candlestick is in the tent of meeting, the candlestick doesn't burn off of wax. It burns off of oil. If you have no oil in the candlestick, you're going to have no fire. If you have no oil in the candlestick and you have no fire, then all you have is a dead, useless piece of furniture that does not serve the purpose in which it was created for. What Ray was talking about is he was saying at the end part of his life, because he passed away about... Three, four months after this, after he started telling me this, he would tell it to me like a lot. He would come in and say it to me. This is what he was saying. I don't want to get at the end of my life and be dead, useless piece of furniture that once my light burned bright at one time. And, then, and But now, at this stage of my life, he was in his 70s, but now at this stage of my life, I am... I have no oil of the Holy Spirit in my life anymore. And I am no longer lit up with Jesus Christ, with the flame of the Holy Spirit. And so my prayer is also the same way, not just for my life, but for this church. And as the revival comes in, it's the Lord, pour out your oil, your Holy Spirit, and then drop your flame of the Holy Spirit into this place. Set us on fire and let us burn. For Jesus Christ. Somebody say man right there. Come on, put your hands together if you receive that. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.